You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another week right here on the Atlanta Legacy Habitat Heroes podcast. I uh, hope you guys are excited for this week's topic. It's something we've discussed a lot um, over the past, but we've never designated. I feel like we say that a lot. We talk about stuff yeah. throughout the entire stretch of this podcast, but this is one that we talked about the benefits, but we've never devoted an entire podcast to it. Um, we're talking about shrubs and all the uses of shrubs. And shame and, on us. And... Uh, all the benefits of shrubs, and doggone it, why did it take us 130-some podcasts yeah. to focus Shame on us. shrubs? But um, we've been we've been covering a lot about shrubs and some of our favorite species lately and how to use them uh, in various topics and discussions. But uh, this week, hopefully you guys can look at some new ways um, to plant something. I know a lot of people love planting things on their, uh, on their land, and... Uh, generally speaking, a lot of those species that get planted require a lot of maintenance, a lot of care, um, we, we and, touched on and that success a is ago. very limited. Yep. Uh, it can be very limited. And shrubs are not one of those things. And so hopefully you guys will uh, sit back and, and take some notes and enjoy uh, a great dis- discussion on shrubs. No doubt. And this one follows up, I think it's timed really well, with what we've been talking about the past previous two weeks with one Matt Ross um, and then just basically the hinge cutting, clear cutting kind of conversations that we've had and comparing those yep. two practices. We're still here. Yeah. It didn't kick us this, off. This is, this is uh, you know, just coming back into, um, you know, because we got, we got the question basically posed to us. What if what if what comes back I don't want? What what could I do? What could I plant that has aspects of food, cover, uh, thermal cover? And so – here it is, shrubs. We we again, like you said, we talk about shrubs all the time, from prairies to northeast to southeast, all across the country. But this podcast solely devoted to shrubs, um, what they do for various species, how to manage them, and what are some of our favorites. So I'm excited for it because 
not I don't I don't know of honestly many other types of species of vegetation that can do what a shrub can. No. And I think that's why it's gonna be so eye opening for a lot of people to be like, Why didn't I think of shrubs in this manner? Like why why have I overlooked them so many times? Yeah. But here we are. Yep. No when you no list more out, overlooking. And I and you know, I think we've got Habitat Heroes podcast um planned out for the next six weeks, it sounds yeah, like. Yes, yeah, we do. We've which, got which is the first time ever, I think. <laughs> yeah. Usually we don't know what we're gonna talk about till we sit down in these chairs. Yeah. But uh this the the next two weeks we're gonna be talking about Matt and I's favorite plants or favorite species favorites. Let's just yeah. say favorites. Just in general um, from could be favorite hunts, favorite species to hunt, favorite plants, favorite grasses, favorite trees, whatever. Probably favorite management techniques too. Yep. Um so you guys can get an in-depth look at kind of really some of the things that keep us excited excited for land management. Uh, and then we're going into our regional specific podcast where we discuss uh, habitat and species per region of the United States. Um, so that's what we have to look forward to. But this week, shrubs. And uh, when you look at a lot of those species, whether it be a grass or a forb or a food plot species or a tree, um they all provide a benefit, usually native, if it's a native. Some form or another, it's there for a purpose. But it may only be a very limited... Uh, it's like a window or peak. Window, so like an oak tree is, is provides a lot of... Uh, for you guys down south, acorns. For you guys up north, acorns. Acorn. Um, and, uh, you know, that's there's a window in there where it's highly productive and it's... And it's awesome, but then there's a time in there where if a big mature tree is not doing a lot of stuff for for deer specifically, um, or native grasses are great cover, but they're not going to provide a lot of nutrient uh, nutrients for your for your deer herd or some of the other species out there. But shrubs kind of do a lot of wonderful things. It, um, if you look at like the way shrubs fall in, you know, from forbs to grasses, and I'm talking like from a height structure standpoint. And, you know, you compare forbs, pretty low growing, then you get grasses and you get shrubs, then you get your, your mid-story trees and you get your trees. If They fall right in the middle. So yep. with something that falls right in the middle of that spectrum of, of height and cover and structure, you know it's got to benefit a lot of things. But it, it almost seems like a lot of times we we get into managing just timbered areas or just grasslands. But we forget about this middle ground that's so incredibly important to tons of different species like we're going to talk about today. Anything from a uh, woodcock all the way up to a deer and beyond. You know, there's so many things that these shrubs are going to be able to do for these species that it makes sense. Let's focus on the middle ground. And we know by default there, we're going to benefit a lot of things. For sure, and and there's going to be a lot of hopefully a lot of people that go out and this winter they're sinking a lot of shrubs in the ground. I'd love it in a in a way that's much more beneficial than some of the other. We're going to talk about planting techniques and and ways to replicate nature to where you maximize your productiveness and uh, you don't get frustrated by this. Yes, and so we've seen uh, that. Um, yeah, so you ready to kick it? Up? Let's kick it. it off. Let's talk some shrubs. Um, I don't know how your notes go, but. Do you want to discuss some of our favorite shrub species before we go into this? Sure, and we'll, we'll throw those names out because a lot of times people are like, does this classify as a shrub, does it not? Yeah. And and honestly, and, let's and not get caught up on that because truthfully, 
an it, oak an oak tree can provide a shrubby effect in a young stage. Well, you look at New Mexico, parts of Oklahoma, in the right conditions or the environment, a lot of times where there's prescribed fire, you hear the term scrub oak. Well, that's a thing because they're just managed in the in a manner that that tree really stays in a low-growing shrubby form and before we start listing these out let's talk about one of the things that probably has been the downfall of shrubs in the past (laughs) 100 years and it really comes down to the classification of brush um big trees grow timber general term general term um big trees grow lumber so it makes money um corn soybeans cotton wheat grow commodity crops commodity crops make money yep um Grass, perennial grass, makes pasture, makes and beef. shrubs try to shrubs <laughs> try to encroach in on a lot of this, yep. and therefore it can potentially cost the landowner money. It's it's like to a to a lot of let's say producers out there, whether you're, you're you fall in that category of timber or cattle or livestock, it's like that thorn in your backside. You're like yeah. you're always trying to knock the brush yeah, back, knock it back. Treat it, manage Spray it, whatever, it. Br- brush hog it. It's those forgotten fields that you're like, ooh, from the hunting standpoint, you're like, that looks so good. But from that farmer standpoint, he's like, oh, it's getting away from me. Yeah, the American beaver, the coyote, and sumac might be clumped in there together. <laughs> because sumac, Most misunderstood yes, species. Yeah. Yes. Um, s- the different smooth, uh, staghorn, um, winged. Roughly. Uh, there's all kinds of sumac out there that um, that really gets a bad rap, and sumac is just one of the one of the shrubby type species mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about today. But um, they kind of fall into that like it's just it's growing up in my fields, and I mean we we just worked a property just the other day where there was a a, a bigger field that had a back end that was grown up in in shr- shrubs and shrubs. And, brush yeah um and a lot of different types there was plums there was uh and a lot of different types of uh sumac and uh, the original plan or the plan was to go forth and and kind of expand that field and turn the whole thing into pollinator except for one ambient food plot and looking it over it's like you know that could be old field management remove the fescue that's growing in and burn it knocks some of that woody vegetation back, but keep that component. Yeah, keep – yeah, that's the important – keep the component of woody vegetation. But it had gotten to the point where nothing had been done. So it yeah. did need to be managed. But and, – and someone's probably like, wait, you're saying – you your suggestion to this gentleman was not to remove the shrubby brush to replace with pollinators. But you guys always talk about how good pollinators is – that's that's how, that's the importance that we're saying today. That's how important this woody shrubby cover is to the whole grand scheme of a property and what it can do and what it can offer is you have to have all these components and they all work well together. So correct. Other portions of this field are still going to be uh, designated for food plots and for uh, pollinator planting, but this component has to be a part of it. It's like if I want to maximize that eight acres, um, and and they want to have a food plot for the for the hunting aspect, so that's yep. fine. But another, let's say the remaining six acres, um, the whole thing going in pollinators would be great, but they would miss that woody component out of the gate, and so it may take a little while for that to encroach, or um, the deer are going to have to go somewhere else to find that component. 
But if we take four acres, turn it into pollinators, keep the other two an old field with this woody component, we're maximizing that six acres or that eight acres with the food plot. Because guess what? There's diversity. There's diversity. Diversity in cover, forage, everything you can imagine. That's right. Right there in those eight acres now. And and not only, like, when we talk pollinators, you automatically think of wildflowers. You sure. Think of you think of showy flowers. Showy flowers that have a big, beautiful bloom. There's a lot of shrubs that are very beneficial oh, to pollinators. Yeah. Um, American plum gets loaded with bees. It's one of the yep. first ones in the spring service berry uh, yep. because of the name uh, is in our area the first one to bloom in the spring. So pollinators that are that are out are using them. Um, there's just there's so many benefits uh, to shrubs on your landscape. So don't overlook the power of the plum. I gotta throw it hashtag. out. Hashtag. That's a new I, hashtag. Power of the plum. Um, I think was it, that was, was a comment on there. Matt Strasser. Adam Strasser. I think it was Matt. Well, I'll give him props. One, one, one said. He said plum, plum awesome. Plum awesome. <laughs> yeah. Because we're, we're referencing a, a Facebook post from from I guess yesterday was. Yeah. Um, Showing the that, edge yeah, of a food edge plot. Of a, fr- a food plot that had a plum thicket, and uh, that was that was one of the awesome comments that came back on it. Um, that actually was was uh, the reason for the podcast is like there's a lot of comments on and a lot of interest from plums and a lot of people planting plums and thickets like this we need to just devote a whole podcast to what in the world shrubs are and yeah. how we how we're going to you know integrate them into properties um, developing and what service that they play for various wildlife so what's some of the um oh gosh what's some of the species that you've got there listed on on yours and I'll, I'll what you don't say i'll say and vice versa yeah um well i'll just i'll tell you what i'll just go through my little handy dandy id book here um real quick to because every page it's good go to talk every about page, yeah guys. It's every be, page sit back this is a you didn't realize pages. this is a three three hour podcast um, so in our area flowering dogwood is is huge all yep. through the eastern united states down southeast even up into the northeast flowering dogwood it's not one that we preach a lot about because it is so abundant um in most place in a lot of places but fantastic forage with the flowering dogwood but it's not the one that we really key in when we start talking dogwoods and oftentimes because of the just the, the growth habits of it, like the, the way it grows, it doesn't seem to produce. It's more of a mid-story canopy That's tree right. versus a shrub, but it get it does get lumped into that. So, again, we're not here to be, you know, um, sticklers for, you know, uh, classification of each tree, shrub, whatever. We're, we're Just bear with us and, and, and be a part of the whole mindset of what structure does this species provide and, and go from shrub understanding and in that form it, and it's more of an individual the flowering when we get into the rough leaf the gray dogwoods mm-hmm. those are Silky. the ones that are clusters yeah um and then you go into the red osier which mm-hmm. is more the northern state one um and that one is very much overlooked i think yeah. uh it can provide fantastic brows and i'll say True. this through, through almost every property we've been on in the northern part of the states where um winter kill off is a problem hit hard hard cold um deep snow winters is a is definitely an issue that late winter browse is a problem well, i would say that, that's what the issue like this, is is that there's not shrubs like this yeah they've been removed yeah and so we're not planting these for. um can be a, a great way to attract deer on your property and keep them healthier through the winter um, if you're up in those states and even down south there's huge 
attractions. I mean, let's be honest. Most food plots are going to be over-browsed by the time February hits, and that's when this woody browse is a huge part of the deer's diet. And so adding these species like the gray dogwood, the rough leaf dogwood, red osier dogwood. Um, then I'm going to flip over Silky. and I'm going to go to nannyberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're kind of the northeast and northern parts. Uh, then we'll go into um, black haws, possum haws. Um, those are all great um, shrubby species. Um, and, and how do you decide which one's the plant? Research the native shrubs to your area. Yep, That's one sure. of the quickest, easiest ways. Then you go into the sumacs. You've got smooth sumac, which goes from, my gosh, South Dakota all the way to Maine um, and all the way down into Georgia and Louisiana and Texas. Smooth sumac and staghorn sumac are two species so that popular. you and I um, see all the time. We see it in, in winged sumac. When we go out, and we, we're walking a lot of properties from, from December to April and May, during that window of February, March, uh, before spring greenup has occurred, we see a pile of deer browsing on sumac. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what species, hammering it. I'm, and I'm, you don't hear people talking about the benefits of sumac. No. Sometimes you hear the opposite, actually. Yeah, too um, much sumac. How do I control it? So, and, and I think there was one week where we were in Illinois, the beginning of a week, and then the, the end of the week we were in Oklahoma, vice versa. And... Um, we were seeing the same intensity of browse from deer in Illinois, northern Illinois, almost into um, basically level with Iowa, honestly. Yep. But from there all the way into southern Oklahoma, we were seeing the same response to this shrub from a browse standpoint in these two drastically different climates. Yep. I mean, Witch it, hazel. Witch hazel. Throw that one in there. That's more of the eastern to Midwest. Uh, this is one that's really cool for me uh, that I've really grown to start appreciating and, and more uh, into historical um, documents that I read, but the choke cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear a lot about the choke cherry in the Lewis and Clark journals, um, and you can see the range of the choke cherry, Matt. Uh, you want to ask about a shrub that grows in more the northern part of the state? Bingo. It goes from um, central Missouri to Central Kansas over into Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, California, Idaho, Washington, all through the um, Dakotas. Yeah, oh, they're completely ate up with it. But it goes all the way up into mid Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, choke cherry, uh, and of course, this is one of those species. It flowers like crazy, so yep. pollinators um, provides forage, provides cover, and then fruit for uh, other. Yep for other forage as well. So choke cherry. But but it, again, it, these these are multi-stemmed species that are growing in relatively dense clusters. So you got lots of stems in a dense area, a dense pocket. Of course, you're going to have the aspect of cover with all these species that we're naming. All right, let's go to some one of our really oh, cherry top end. cherry on top, the American plum. Ah. But then you go into the Chickasaw plum. Yep. Uh, and then you've got the Mexican plum and uh, multiple types of plums. But the American plum is always one yep. of our thickets, favorite thickets. Um, and so, yeah, uh, there's a there's list American of American hazelnut can nope. get thrown into things. Yep, that's not in the book. I looked it up. Um, nine bark. Nine hawthorns, bark. Hawthorn. Hawthorn has got. Um, 
You it, said hazelnut. I think that's it. American Beauty Berry. How yep. could I ever forget? That's Silly not boy. in this, this book either. But and uh, even even more of a of a wetland deal. I threw in the the button bush. Yep. I mean that's a beautiful blooming um, deal. But like again, this is this is the the frame of mind we got to get to. When you see a shrub, it's not just brush. It is a dynamic aspect of the of the landscape that does provide 24-7 forage and cover for a wide spectrum of wildlife. And I, I want you guys to sit back and consider that for a second because what what does get preached on more so than, than the shrubby um, cover is, is, again, forestry techniques and, let's say, the implementation or planting or reestablishment of native warm season grasses. Yes, both of those are, are absolutely important and critical to be managing, but do grasses provide 24-7 cover and forage? No. Do trees provide 24-7 cover and forage? Negative. But yet a shrub does, and we've we've lost that aspect, and we've lost that realization until hopefully today that, wow, I've got to be managing for these species and, and either transplanting or just planting and trying to establish these awesome, awesome varieties across my landscape. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads into the next thing of you don't just do it haphazardly, though, either. And, and I think a lot of times the shrubs here, I would say in the last 10, 15 years, they've gotten their glory, whether it's through uh, cost share programs or just people trying to, you know, oh, I, I, I know I need shrubs on my property. I'm just going to, I'm going to use them as a, as a screen. I'm going to plant them in just this long linear fashion across my no, property. They don't do that. That's, that's where the miscanthus comes Oh yeah. Um, but I, I've seen it on, on multiple properties where, right, these, these, let's say thickets or these, these species, these shrubs that would typically grow in more of a thicket, um, are long drawn out linear, you know, maybe yeah. they're surrounding a food plot or maybe they're along the edge of a property line to, to help screen someone walking well, in. Well, they're planted in your typical planting pattern for fruit trees where you want yeah. five or 10 foot spacing. Or like a reforestation, like where they're yeah. track, they're on the rear mount of the, tr- the tree planting yep. deal. Three and point it's just tree boom, planter. boom, 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 right in a line. And, and that's not, that's not ecologically, that's not how they grow. So why why would we choose to plant them in a way that they don't repopulate themselves? Yeah, that doesn't make much sense to me. Now you can I'll play devil's advocate a little bit on that one, because we do promote um, some screening for these shrubs, but once again they're not planted in a five foot space or a five yard space, and we're stacking them in there because some of these uh, dogwoods, the the gray dogwood and rough leaf dogwood. They run off of basically one stem, almost like a uh, an aspen mm-hmm. or a quakey uh, aspen tree um, out west that, that you have multiple stems all tied to one root system. And right. so if you plant them thick, uh, you know, I had this question last week with a guy in Oklahoma that was asking about screening his roadway. And the question of miscanthus came up and it was like, oh, no, 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 I can't advocate enough mm-hmm. against planting a non-native species that we don't know enough about. Um, but I will advocate till I, I'm laying in my deathbed that shrubs and native native shrubs is the answer. And and so you can it plant some might of these be on your to get this lin- linear f- feature. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, Thou shalt not plant miscanthus. Not <laughs> <laughs> Kill a lot of olives. Um, 
And uh, but when you look at like the gray dogwoods, how many times oh. have we've driven the roadways, and they're kind of one of those species that can take some wet feet because you yeah, see them sure in can. ditches, yeah. um, growing gray and rough, uh, rough leaf dogwood growing in ditches along the gravel roads where you're like, man, what is that tree or species trying to grow up? That could be a great uh, a great screen. Um, they they certainly could play that role, and but I would you say don't plant them in a five yard spacing. C- correct, and, and you want to make sure if you do, if you are trying to reestablish shrubs, um, in in a heavily you densely populated deer area, high deer density, you want to take some precaution and and most likely tube these things because yes they are that attractive from a brow standpoint um especially if you are if your if your brows in the winter time is limited that's one of the first things they're, they're going to go to yep. is because they're out in the open they're unprotected so why wouldn't you go and browse there and especially if they're in a line well that's just an easy you just keep your head down and you walk in that line just keep browsing 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 yep and so that's where we see a lot of times where people get frustrated with shrubs those because they're planted most likely wrong or not there's not protection on them and they get over browsing never really amount to anything yeah but Again, when we're talking and we're seeing plum thickets or we're seeing sumac groves, we're seeing them in dense like clusters, usually semi-circular formations. Um, whether they're like like if we're in the plains, if we're in Oklahoma or Kansas, Texas or something like that, usually we'll see them in a slight little depression or a little dip um, in the ground because that's where fire may not hit as intensely. And those shrubs have a chance to get up and grow and get established. And then once they're established, they're producing enough seed that they're, it continues to grow and expand and grow and expand. And every time fire then rips across the landscape, it singes the outside of these groves. But for them to repopulate themselves in an area that does receive these um, common disturbances, why wouldn't we emulate and plant them in those areas? So I think we were talking to, it was, it was a recent conversation we were having with a landowner, um, but talking about going in and planting shrubs and, and making sure that we are dotting the landscape um, with these shrubs and little tiny pockets and islands. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to have this cover, make sure we introduce shrubs into them too, because they play such that important role. But Basically, like little covey headquarters. If people have heard oh, that sure. um, term when you're managing quail, Kyle and Frank can certainly elaborate more onto it than us. But you know, I think typically they're they're recommending 1,500 square foot for a, a covey headquarter. You think about that, you're like, that's a decent sized house. You mm-hmm. know, one level of a house. That's how big a little stick it is. But how many times have we jumped deer out of those thickets in no. in the plains or? Or just locally. I mean, my gosh, in, in these Chad old fields. Did it two days ago. Yeah. An American plum a plum thicket. That was tiny. Tiny. That was, that was maybe 20 square foot. That was yeah. a little tiny little uh, thicket. But she was there. Yeah. To and me, I, this is something I'm going to work on a lot on the family farm is trying to break it down into 40 or 30 mm-hmm. acre segments and saying, okay, within each 40 acre grid, I want to have. It's got it all. I want to have water. I want to have shrubs. I want to have. Um, Forbs, I want to have grasses. I want to somehow get this diversity in there. And that's one way I would encourage you guys to diversify your property. Instead of looking at it going, okay, I've got a water hole here and I've got this there. Try to break it down to where you get everything a deer needs. And then you're going to talk about how can you, if you want to ask how you can shrink down a deer's home range, 
there is no no better way to do it than than give them everything they need in a small area. Yeah, for sure. Removes uh, lower social social stress because they don't have to travel as far to find to and meet their needs. And they're not congregating around all these these specific needs. You know, there's there is food plots dotted throughout. You know, they're not yeah. all coming to one area where there's a 20 acre field. We'll take that 20 acres and distribute it out into five locations. Have four food plots that are, or five food plots that are four four acres. You know, spread these things out, diversify the property. So right, you're managing in that in that uh, mindset. So if I were to say if if we transplant it. We're in Michigan. Yeah. What are your top three? Say so you get three shrubs to plant. What would they be? Red osier, nanny, and probably the choke cherry. Yep. Probably could throw in a nine bark would go up there too. Yep. I think. Um, even a hawthorn, I think, would go up there. Yep. I would probably go with those same three. Um, if I uh, Texas. What would you go with? I'd probably throw in definitely the plum, maybe even a, a sand plum. Um, probably throw in a gray dogwood and then some sumac. Oh, get out. You you might as well. F- you failed. Which one did I forget? Your oh, the beautyberry. Yeah, you failed. Oh, Eastern Texas for sure. <laughs> yeah, American beautyberry would definitely be one. I'd throw in the a plum of some sort and then... Um, you know, you can go with several other things, but um, it'd be hard for me to go away from two types of plums down there. Yeah, because uh, they are so prevalent down there. Yeah, and and it's it's an incredible. So Come you on, you wouldn't you wouldn't go and coast, plant some mesquite down there? No, uh, <laughs> East Coast uh, or you know Mid Atlantic. Yeah, uh, that's where witch hazel would be a big one for mm-hmm. me. Um, Little story on yeah. witch hazel. I would I'll go. go I would go finish. into. Uh, I would definitely go into another plum, probably mm-hmm. American plum. Yep. And then, um, boy, probably one of the dogwoods. Yep. That'd be good yep. choices. Um, little story. I was in college in the Shenandoah National Park, and they were doing some studies on uh, doing some basically deer exclosures. Um, and this was close to big meadows if you've ever been to the park um you'd be familiar with that we went in and just kind of looked at uh the regeneration of the park and of course everyone knows that uh, there's a ton of deer um lots of browsing around the big meadows area um doesn't take long to study the forest and and see it but with these exclusions these were very small areas probably about the size of a large bedroom anyhow um but witch hazel was growing and regenerating in the enclosure outside you saw just stems and twigs and when you really got to study it was incredible to see the regeneration from that witch hazel and you you could not find it um nearly in that same form um with that same amount of growth growing back because the deer were absolutely hammering witch hazel in the park and now again those are areas that are that have high deer densities however it just goes to say Look how preferred these species are from a browsing standpoint. And I think we haven't really touched on it that much, but all the food that comes out of these shrubs, we've got twigs, we've got fruits, leaves. we've got leaves. It's absolutely incredible. That covers your whole year. And then right during there. the early spring, you've got the buds, the which buds. is oh my buds, the ends of the, yeah. the, the twigs. Um yeah, it's just so many. Oh, oh, so you're telling or, me a deer could lay in there yeah. and then get up and begin to feed? And then what about what about the aspect of just nesting cover from a variety of songbirds that how many ne- bird 
bird nests have we seen up in the little canopy of plums before? Yeah. You see those little well, nests built. Just just this week, Chad sent us a picture of an indigo bunny yeah. nest that wasn't in an actual shrub. It was in a, a young, it was a, a shrubby oak, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, or it might have been a hickory that was four or five foot tall, yep. and it was nesting there. Uh, how many times have we driven by that restoration, the woodland restoration on the Prairie Hollow property? Oh, God. Yep. And seen indigo bunnies, pears flying up. They're they're nesting in they're there somewhere. Everywhere. I'm not yep. going to go stumble through there to find it. Yeah, but they're definitely in there. Well, and, and okay, so you've got you've got the ability for them to be kind of nesting in the canopy. But then you look at the the ground nesting birds that will that will nest in there. Quail certainly would potentially yep. if there's enough ground cover. If we had grouse, they would. Grouse would. Woodcock would. A wild turkey certainly would. It's almost endless as the possibilities that these thickets, shrubby thickets, will will play in the course of a year. There's, an, I don't think there's a time frame that you could go to a thicket with good wildlife around, good wildlife numbers, that you wouldn't be able to see some sort of um, either foraging or cover tracks or sign of wildlife utilizing shrubs. It'd be very hard pressed. Oh, absolutely. Very hard-pressed. Um, whoo, we can go on and on about these things. Yeah. What well, we didn't cover, what what part? We didn't really cover the southeast. Okay. The mid-Atlantic. Oh, down south, I would go with... A, Beautyberry yeah, again. I'd go with Beautyberry, American Plum. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man. I'm trying to think of some of them that I've seen lately. Probably one of the dogwoods. Yeah. Um, you probably throw a hazelnut there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, it, or one of the sumacs. Oh, yeah. They're going to be down there for sure. And so break that down. American Beautyberry. Let's let's say, why do I rave about the American Beautyberry so much? Deer beyond lo- beyond the fact that it's gorgeous. Yep. It's very aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. But I don't give a hoot about aesthetics. They haven't figured that out yet. Um, American Beautyberry, though, is... It makes your is, heart happy. Is, ...is beautiful. Um, the berries are an intricate part of yes. of a lot of bird species, Tons. specifically the painted bunting. Yep. Um, deer browse it like crazy. Like it provides incredible cover for birds, mm-hmm. for fawns, for turkeys, for deer. Um, so it's got phenomenal cover for phenomenal food for all kinds of different species. Um, and it's very aesthetically pleasing. Um, and it grows in kind of that mid-shade understory too, or can. Um, so American Beautyberry, tons of benefit. Take the American Plum, huge part of it. It's it's great shade, thermal cover uh, for species uh, like bobwhite quail, white-tailed mm-hmm. deer, um, great for turkeys. The fruit is highly selected highly by correct. deer and other species. Raccoons, coyotes. Yeah. Um, foxes. And then you go and grouse. Yeah. Um, and then you go into provides great browse. Um, during that, during that early part of the spring, late winter, um, deer browse the heck out of it. So that's a huge thing. Um, plus, uh, then you go into, let's just say red oaks or dogwood. Cause I feel yep. like that one's very underutilized up North. Uh, I, I, phenomenal browse. Very easy, uh, very easy to maintain and plant. Um, it's one of those that like, when you compare fruit tree, let's just say most people, when they're planting trees in food plots, around food plots, probably are a fruit-bearing tree, most likely, yeah. on average. Yeah. Most, it's a pear, likely. it's a peach, it's a. It's apple. got some sort of soft or hard mast. It might be a persimmon. Yep. 
it takes some pruning, maybe some spraying, yep. maybe some um, fighting off blights, yep. um, fighting off insects. It's high. Uh, it's a high maintenance. It, and I planting. don't like high maintenance. No. Um, and so then you go into what kind of what kind of maintenance does it require for uh, American plum to to really grow? Not a lot. You know, you, early on, you might pl- if you plant it when it's dormant, there's a good chance. You know, maybe it takes off. You plant a whole cluster of them, there's a good chance at least fifty yeah, percent are going to survive. Some of them are going to survive. Just keep your dad from bush hogging them. Oh, yeah. um, flag it. <laughs> and then uh, sink rebars in at forty five yeah. angle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but they don't take a lot of uh, a lot of maintenance. Um, so once you plant them, if you plant them at an appropriate time. You know, you could go and buy a whole cluster of seedlings, bare root seedlings, really cheaply, um, and sink yeah. them in the ground. Take a shovel, good sharp shovel, and sink it in the ground, just or like old, a dibble stick. Although Leopold always talked about, and so uh, just sink it in the ground and and take off, and and who knows? Look back five years and say, wow, that really took off. That's it. You it, yeah, exactly. And it's that's not the going thing. planted crap. I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta water go those things in. Pr- I gotta do this. Prune I gotta do that. it. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's it's not that, um, not that at all. It's not these domesticated um, horticulture species. The, these are native species adapted to these sites. Um, and, and truthfully, again, we're we're not. We don't typically come from kind of the aesthetic value standpoint. Um, they're supposed to be a thicket. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. That's their job. That's the way they grow. So if it comes in. Um, thick as hair on a dog's back that's a good thing just let the wildlife utilize it from there and and that's the other benefit of these these species is many of them are pretty resilient to prescribed fire and let's say if your dad does get wild with the, the bat wing they grow back they're gonna grow back you know they're not gonna be gone forever um unless you're doing this you know right when they're senescing or going down late late growing season um most times you're going to have a seed bank there too um, from from that fruit, the bearing there, the nuts or whatever it is you got planted. But most times they're coming back. You quick, don't have to worry about it. Quick story. Um, this spring I was hunting with Keith Hammer from Stratton Seed Company, turkey hunting. We are walking along, got into an area that um, we've kind of been maintaining, burning, and doing some stuff over the years and just looked really good. If we had grouse, there would have been a grouse in there yeah. drumming. I know we would have. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're walking along, and I'm like, man, look right there. In the middle of the hardwoods, of course, this ridge has been thinned and, and burned multiple times, and there's a big cluster of American plum. Yeah. like, oh, look right there. That's pretty cool. We walk another 30 yards by the by the cluster and get just 10 yards on the other side. <laughs> Jumped up a hen turkey on mm-hmm. a nest. There was 11 eggs in there. Yeah. Um, it was like right there. It's like... Now, in a, in coincidence, who knows? Yeah. But at the same time, that was the only plum thicket we saw on that ridge, and she was right there beside it. Makes so for a good story, like, right? <laughs> yeah. Makes well, makes me get some uh, credibility, yeah. right? Well, and, and just like uh, you were talking about, Chad jumped the deer out of uh, that plum thicket the other day. Yep. Same day, him and I were going and checking a food plot, and um, the edge had been thinned one year prior. There was cedars cut. There was blackjack cut. There was post oaks. Just a lot of brush and everything growing up and around. Now there's blackberry coming back. There's a lot of sumac coming back. And sure enough, we had drove into the field, walked around, checked on some things, and came to the edge like, wow, look at this, man. This is just growing back thick. And it was, yeah. at that point, 
five to six, almost six foot tall in some areas. And sure enough, boom, there goes a doe popped out of it. And she had been, she was 15 yards from us that whole wow. time. It was just, it was crazy. Mm. Um, but going and inspect it, sure enough, just in and among uh, a felled cedar and then uh, sumac. Just right there. Well, I, I, I don't go know figure. if we... Yeah, go figure, right? Um, one thing that we haven't really touched on too much is the aspect of, of the thermal cover, too, that, that yes. a sumac grove or a plum thicket, um, any type of shrub is going to provide for various species of wildlife, from, from a quail all the way up to a deer. Yeah. I mean, it, it, one of the terms, uh, you know, they call it... It kind of goes in the cattle world, too, but... Um, for quail, quail management, they call it loafing shade, mm-hmm. and it's that it's that shrubby component next to an area, an area that they're going to feed or going right. to take their poults out into. Uh, but then they hang out in that shade during the hot part of the day. It's, and it's they the just lazy loaf. time of the day, yeah. And uh, it's just a good area, you know. Combine that. Now let's dial the clock back, and we're going back pre-settlement. Well, that clock needs some oil. And uh, we're going back, and we're talking about. You know, bison are out on the range, and they're yeah. roaming around, and shrubs everywhere. And, uh, you know, just like cows, if if you were to take a bunch of cows out and you let them graze on native grass, and the day gets hot, they're going to run over and loaf in that shady area mm-hmm. for a little part of the day and then move back out and graze. Yep. That creates that disturbance underneath these shrubs. Yep. So you get that bare ground mixed with shade, <laughs> mixed with manure increasing insects coming in for that it's like a perfect component for bobwhite quail and, and mm-hmm. other game birds uh and other birds i guess and i can't even say game birds but it's like that perfect component and then as as those animals are removed you get that spring of annuals those mm-hmm. rat common ragweed western once ragweed. the herds moved off yeah and you get a little bit of rest you get that yep. perfect component um and that's what you try to replicate yep. and and that loafing shade is is a huge part of successful. Um, and we're we're not talking like, you know, a five degree difference or anything like that. With with the right size, um, you know, a, a smaller house sized area, you're talking in the center of it probably thirty degrees difference. I would say if it's good shade and you've got a good canopy. Um, you've got a lot of shade potential in there that's going to give the rest. Because a lot of times you think of thermal thermal cover, you're thinking of, oh, you, you want sunlight in. But this is the opposite. We're talking yep. about, you know, from a growing season standpoint, from the middle of the summer, we're talking about shade aspect that these that these birds and other wildlife need. A lot S- of them don't sumac. pant like dogs. No. They need to regulate their body in different ways so they get into the shade and cool down that way. You've got sumac. Yep. which is at a phenomenal loafing shade Ugh. during the summer months. For sure. But then as leaves fall, you've got berries, which wildlife love. Mm-hmm. So they're eating those berries. By the way, people make lemonade out of that. Yes, they do. I guess sumac aid is what they call it. Um, but anyway, they're eating those berries. Then at the same time, as late winter hits, buds start forming. They start hammering that browse. Yep. So it goes from shade and cover to food, and that's a 365-day window. Exactly. And, and that, the other thing, you know, is not only is it blocking the sun, but it's also blocking the threat from avian predators, too. Yeah. They can't get down and in a, a, a thicket um, of sumac. I would, 
I would love to have seen the first hawk who ever went in to a plum thicket from up top and tried dive down, dive bomb some quail, and was like, I am never doing that again. It'd be like trying to dive oh on a God. It'd be like Barbed trying wire. to take a bite out of a porcupine face first. Yeah, there's no way I'm doing that. Yep. And uh, they they learned their lesson quick, but so did the quail. And they're like, I'm getting in that because, yep. again, it's not only thermal cover, but it's just escape cover. It's all of it. Yep. Tell me, again, can a tree do that? Can grasses do that? They're not going to be able to. And I, I would love to see um, j- just this wave of, of shrubs being planted out on the landscape from from listeners, from people who don't listen, who, who they're getting shared this podcast with, you know, anybody and everybody. This is how dynamic they are, and we've missed the boat, truthfully. Yeah. Um, and And... So we've covered them. No pun intended. We've we've talked about plums, plums, nanny berries, all the shrubs in a cover aspect. Yeah, we've talked about them from a browse aspect and providing food, fruit bearing. Um, we've mentioned it in screening, but if you're one of these guys and you're trying to find ways to screen your approach through a field, combining shrubs with warm season grasses. Mm-hmm is a great way to provide, and this is, I'm going to say it once again, because this is a, the biggest question. I don't want to plant, and I'm, I'm talking about the people that I've heard this quote from. I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in their shoes. I don't want to plant something that's going to attract the deer up to the approach. Sure, you I, I get that. But at the same time, if you've got food plots and you've got better bedding, you're not planting something that they're going to be bedding in. Yeah. If if yeah. they're bedding in your screen, you've got bigger problems because yeah. that's the best it's, cover in the in your area. Exactly. You exactly. need to provide that elsewhere. But then you can use these shrubs to where you can protect yourself walking in. But then once hunting season's over, it's providing huge benefits to the deer. But the whole time during deer season, it was providing mm-hmm. tons of benefits for other small game species like cottontail rabbits, bobwhite quail, ruffed grouse, whatever, what other native species you have, small game, pretty, they're going to use those. Pretty much name it, and yeah. it would it would say, yeah, I, I could use a shrub. That's right. I'd be fine with that. So screening is definitely a, a something awesome. And, Not and, only on your approach, but if you're – Here's we've we created that edge blend with pure air natives yep. of of combining um, different species that can handle that semi shade dry climate competing with trees. You've got a big food plot that outside you know right up next to the drip line. It doesn't do very good, especially fall species. Fall food plots do not do very good. Um, they're not nearly as productive as the center of your food plot. Um, and so that's where having species that have a better root system, more of a perennial type thing, a native grass or pollinator, forb, whatever you want to call it, they've got those deep roots. They're going to be able to survive. Now you're adding great cover around your food plot. Next step would be including shrubs in that to where you get this mix of forbs for for summer food. You've got um, provi- bringing in insects, so they're going to help create better yields from your actual food plots uh, but at the same time they're increasing uh, increasing species of insects for helping the pollination on your property increasing insects for food for small game increasing the amount of uh, native vegetation that deer can browse increasing the amount of cover screening on your food plot so deer feel more comfortable being there during daylight hours um, then you add this the shrubs to that component you're getting winter browse you're getting more cover 
um, and you're creating a an area that deer feel comfortable being in. Mm-hmm. Let's just call a spade a spade. Deer don't feel comfortable in food plots because it is wide open, shin high uh, vegetation. Um, that if you do much hunting around it, they know that that is a place of attack. Um, if you want to if you want to increase daylight activity around your food plots, increase that second level um, vegetation, uh, tertiary cover from food plot. Then into this great cover along the edge, down into hopefully managed forest, managed timber, um, with clear cuts, everything dotted out throughout. We could go on and on and on about what a farm should have, but no doubt it should definitely have this aspect of shrub component. Um, it does not matter where you're at, whether you are northeast, north central, Texas, Florida, and everywhere in between. Shrubs are a component of the landscape. Um, I would say there's one area that I can think of that probably didn't have the shrubs based on historical information. Sand dune? Uh, I'm I'm (laughs) thinking Montana, (laughs) eastern Montana. Yeah. um, Prairie is where, you know, a lot of of people were talking about, like, there wasn't many shrubs. Like, just seeing grass grass forever and ever and ever. Most other places, there's going to be shrubs. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's the thing, you know, these little ravines and cuts and things like that, that's most likely where in, in a prairie-dominated situation where you're going to see these types of um, the shrubs growing. Yep. Kyle and Frank will be on most likely next week to talk about usable space, and yep. we're going to be talking a lot about shrubs. Oh, no doubt. Woody, no. woody cover. Absolutely, and I'm excited to hear that one. Um, but, man, that, what it, what is your... I guess, charge for the people listening. Um, and, and truthfully, too, I, I know someone's going to be like, all right, well, which one and where can I get them? Yeah. And and that's the thing. You know, there are some, some cool things coming um, with with the store yep. that um, we haven't quite shared yet, but we're, we're hinting to, alluding to. Um, Here's what we say. Planting these species, you get all gung-ho. You listen to this podcast, you're like, I want to plant some shrubs. Don't plant them till dormant season. So start yep. sinking them in the ground November, December, January, February. Um, so you've got some time. But Matt's telling you that our store is getting ready to evolve. We're talking about shrubs. So, yeah, you're probably we'll going to see We'll be plants. ready there. Yeah. We'll, we'll be ready for your planting season, your shrub planting season, um, and have some really cool opportunities within that. Um, this, is, this is just the beginning of – You'll, you'll, you'll be hearing more from us on the shrubs. For we'll sure. That. Um, and so, you know, this it's definitely something um, that I think I think you were alluding to what is kind of the, the power up. What yeah. am I motivating them with? This, this is the, Here's the, the sermon, question. The sermon yeah. ending sentence. This is a closing. Um, whenever you find yourself trying to find the species that provides the most benefit to your wildlife and you most of the time we're looking at okay i want a i want a grass that's the best for this uh whether it be i want the grass that stands tall the longest through the year or i want a food plot that i don't have to maintain i don't have to spray i don't have to weed i don't have to fertilize i don't have to do anything but put it in the ground and it's going to produce year in, year out. I don't have to get griped at by the family because I'm spending all this time out there trying to get mm-hmm. Cerise Lespides out of my food plots. Um, and you're looking for that species, that fruit tree, 
um, that apple that drops at the perfect time. You're looking for a species that has a long list of benefits. You're going to have to look long and hard and get up real early in the morning to get past a shrub, a native shrub in your area of any of the ones we mentioned prior. Um, because of the amount of benefits that they bring to your landscape and how they can benefit your wildlife, both game and non-game species, and improve the overall productiveness of your place. This is the number one reason why bush hogging is one of the most detrimental things you can do. Recreational mowing yeah. is one of the biggest downfalls and negatives you can do on your landscape. No no Be- more, I guess, uh, I, I, I guess the question is, where does aesthetics fall onto your your mindset of your goals of a farm. And again, there's nothing there's I shouldn't say there's nothing wrong. I just don't think that it should be number one for most places if you're looking to to maximize your wildlife and restoration of a landscape. Aesthetics. Most likely aesthetics is not going to be number one. And so I think there's this this we're seeing a little bit of a turnover in people's mindsets of the way things should look. And I think that um it comes at a good time, honestly. It yeah. comes at a, a point where we we do need to change our mindset of of you know appearances and what's natural and beneficial to wildlife, and that's where these shrubs and this component uh, of the landscape has to be in place or should be in place for the benefit of tons and tons of wildlife and the land. Aesthetics is one of those things you can work really, really hard. Sweat you money to. <laughs> to create a place, a landscape that's aesthetically pleasing. And the reason it takes so much work is because nature does not want to do that. No. But at the same time, it's a whole lot easier to work mentally to train yourself to love chaos, love diversity. Appreciate and it. Appreciate the the diversity on your landscape mm-hmm. through shrubs, brush, trees, grasses, forbs ragweed, <laughs> yeah. all those it, things that you may hate because it's not aesthetically pleasing, most likely can be beneficial to your landscape and your wildlife. L- let's take edge feathering, for example. It ain't going to look pretty when you're done. But you're doing, it, you're doing it for a purpose. Yep. And you have to realize the purpose outweighs the view at the end of the day of, of what it's going to look like. Yep. Two, and, and trust me, two years down the road, it's not going to look the same. No. So it's fine. But just we did edge feathering. Looked ugly. Wild I, bergamot came up. It's beautiful. And beautiful like, purplish bloom on it all over the place. And it's Man. not even aggressive. Like, we no. haven't even got it as aggressive as we want. We could but, go way more aggressive. But we're going to go way more aggressive. And and it's going to look ugly. But once we rip fire through it, it's going to start going, Man, that is perfect. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, we created exactly what we wanted to. Edge feathering is definitely one of those. I'm glad you touched on that. That if somebody's talking native about edge feathering because of the aesthetics, they're not a, a wildlife manager. They're not a land manager. They're not looking for the benefit of the land. Aesthetics is one of those things that needs to go somewhere and die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find the sinkhole in the property yeah. and just bury yourself yeah. in it. <laughs> Doze all your aesthetic feelings down in that sinkhole. Yeah. yeah. I, I so. think, uh, and you know, there's nothing wrong with a nice property entrance, but beyond that, man. You can have get- aesthetics, but still with shrubs, American Beautyberry. Native oh. grasses, pollinators. The pollinating thing is something that um, may not be, in the grand scheme of things, aesthetically pleasing because you look at it and you're like, there's nothing matches. But at the same time, once Gosh, it starts in bloom, ooh, 
It is very aesthetic. Dormant season may not look the best. It's yeah. going to be very brown and grayish as everything's yeah. dead. But it, at even in that instance, it is home for insects. It is food for quail. It has its purpose. It has its thing. Um, we, could keep, we could keep going on. But I think that really wraps up shrubs, yep. the component, the role that it plays. And hopefully you guys are encouraged about it um, and, and want to learn more. Research some of the species. For um, your area. Yeah, for your area. I'll be sure to include them in some show notes, um, just the variety of species um, that we've touched on today. So you guys can go reference that and look them up. Um, Guys, go check out our YouTube channel. We've dropped some videos lately uh, with the quail guys. Uh, Going to drop a couple more soon. And uh, we're probably basically, uh, you know, we're going to have more on there. We're going to have more on our Facebook page. Uh, so like us on Facebook. Please leave us a recommended review there. Leave us a review on iTunes if that's where you're listening. Please, much appreciate it. It helps us continue to grow, continue pumping out podcasts like this. A lot of great things in the future. Um, so your support will help ensure that we keep pushing and grinding and, and getting there. Um, Definitely. And I, and I just, once again, guys, can't thank you enough for joining us on another week here. Uh, you guys have been with us for a while. If you just joined us, thanks for finding us. Hopefully you can share this with your friends that are interested in improving your landscape, improving your farm, making it more beneficial to all species, not just one. Um, anyway, we'll catch you next week. We'll see ya. Yeah.